And we're live. Welcome back to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast, everyone. Now at our new time on Friday mornings. As always, I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined by Electrex Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. And we have a lot of interesting stuff to cover today. There are a number of different stories. Uh, we have a new e-bike um, that has just come back from recall. We've got uh, Rivian e-bikes on the way. Uh, we're learning about the Rad Wagon. We just covered the electric XP trike. And uh, we've also got a few interesting three-wheeled electric vehicles, including the PLP-50 and um, also an electric tuk-tuk. But I think we're going to be starting off with uh, Rivian e-bikes, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, let's check out the uh, e-bikes that Rivian is going to be rolling out, which unfortunately we don't have too much information yet. But we do finally have a confirmation from the CEO that this is definitely happening. You know, before we heard from uh, RJ Scarringe that they're interested in e-bikes, it would be an interesting area to go into. We saw that they hired a few uh, e-bike sort of uh, superstars in the design world. They poached some people from Specialized and other companies. So we knew they were sort of e-bike curious but we recently heard that um, the CEO announced in a company-wide meeting that they are already developing an electric bicycle. We don't know, you know exactly what type of bike this is. Is it going to be more of like a mountain bike, which a lot of um, these uh, automotive companies have focused on? Are they going to do more of like a, a moped or almost a, a light electric motorcycle? Really, the details are are still out there and we're waiting for more there. But just the fact that the company has confirmed that they're definitely not only going to develop, but they're already in the process of developing an e-bike is huge news because Rivian, of course, brings in massive design chops. You know, this isn't some new electric bike company that's going to have to get off the ground or is just, you know, white labeling a bike. Rivian can obviously design something interesting from the ground up, produce it in the U.S., and probably bring out some huge production numbers. Obviously, you know, they, they're still uh, scaling up production of their electric trucks and SUVs, but there's a lot less that goes into not only the design, but also the production of an e-bike, both on the material side and on the uh, labor and, and parts side. So it's very interesting to see what they're going to be able to do here in e-bikes and how quickly they're going to be able to do it, especially as more and more automotive companies start to play around with e-bikes and, and throw their hat in the ring. I know you've got a little more experience with Rivian than I do, though, Seth. What do you think about a, a potential Rivian e-bike? So they're they're definitely working on it. Um, I've talked to a couple of Rivian employees, pretty high level, um, that have said, you know, we can't really talk about it, but like here, you know, you've seen uh, that we are, you know, uh, patenting things, trademarking things. Um, we have a, a big interest in it. Um, the story that uh, we're looking at here was uh, one you did um, in October of last year um, at, at a conference, a Disrupt 2022, uh, Screen said uh, the following, when you look at transportation over the ten, next 10 to 15 years, core to that core to part of the way we think about our product portfolio is increasingly that we go towards multimodal. We'll be using uh, vehicles sometimes, public transportation other times, and we think increasingly e-bikes, electric assist bikes. I mean, that was pretty much, I, I almost think that the TechCrunch disrupt was more of a tell than uh, this Bloomberg thing. But the fact that after the two rounds of 6% layoffs, they're still talking about e-bikes, that's a good sign. 
And um, he continues, uh, and for the for us to be part of that sort of mosaic of different mobility solutions, we have a whole host of products that a number of which are pretty far from what you see here, gesturing toward the trucks. And then the e-bike space is something we're super excited about. We haven't announced anything or said anything there, but I do think it's going to play an increasingly important role for transportation, both in the movement of goods for commercial purposes, but also for the movement of people. So the way he's talking about it there was similar to the way uh, the employee talked about it with me. Um, I don't think it's going to be like adventure bikes. Like it's not going to be something that, you know, necessarily fits on the back of a Rivian is an accessory to a Rivian kind of like, uh, you know, what Porsche kind of does a little bit. And some of the other makers are making e-bikes or white labeling e-bikes so that they are accessories to their vehicles. I think Rivian is thinking about this as a, a form of transportation. They have experts in, you know, batteries and motors and everything. And they see this e-bike space as a, a blowing up, um, part of the travel or transportation ecosystem. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them come uh, at, you know, almost like at, at what uh, Harley and Serial are doing with like, you know, higher speed, um, not, not what Harley and Serial and Livewire are doing, um, not, but like kind of the, the prototypes they've shown off with like these, you know, interesting uh, uh, types of e-bikes and scooters that, you know, don't really fit into any particular category. Obviously, you know, if they're going to be legal on roads, they've got to be, you know, vined out or, or whatever, if they're going to go over 28 miles per hour. So that's what I think the interesting part, but I think Rivian is really thinking about like, we're going to have an e-bike business. It's going to be a big part of our um, portfolio and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be part of who we are. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think this is a big deal for Rivian, and you know Rivian is a big deal in the uh, EV space. So um, we're we're following this quite closely. Absolutely, and I can't wait to see how quickly this turns into something because you know it's not just over the last few days or weeks that they've been working on this. So they, they right. could have something pretty far along already. Yeah, I mean they could you know announce something any day now, and I think that's something that could really help their stock, which has been going up and down quite a bit. Um, but you know if they release a good e-bike products that, you know, they have another, uh, um, you know, a, a money uh, volcano, so to speak. And of course, their partnership with Amazon means that the distribution uh, likely could be uh, pretty easy for them. Absolutely. All right. Next up, we have eCoast launched as a hassle-free electric beach cruiser bike with belt drive. This one's interesting to me because most of the time when we think about beach cruiser bikes, you know, we're thinking about West Coast, California cruising, that kind of thing. But this is a very nice beach cruiser that was launched by a New York-based company known as Priority Bicycles. And most people probably know Priority more for their pedal bikes than their electric bikes. But they have already a couple very nice uh, electric bikes, and now they've taken their uh, Coast model, which is their beach cruiser, and they've basically electrified it to turn it into the E-Coast. And it's got some interesting parts here as well. You know, most beach cruisers, especially electric beach cruisers, are fairly simple, but we've got a Gates carbon belt drive on the E-Coast here. We've got uh, hydraulic disc brakes. And it's overall just a very nice setup. It's all stainless steel or rust-resistant hardware, 
which of course is going to be very important for a bike that's actually ridden along the beach and you've got that salt spray and you know you want to be corrosion resistant. And it also comes in at a price that's sort of middle ground in the cruiser territory. I think it's uh, $17.99 if I'm not mistaken. And you know that that really falls in between sort of the the cheaper um, you know Amazon style beach cruisers and the nicer you know Pedago two and a half three thousand uh, dollar beach cruisers. So it's it's sort of that Goldilocks zone for me, especially when you look at some of the nicer parts it comes with. That it's not just an you know off the rack or out of the catalog cheap beach cruiser here. This is a fairly nicely specced, nicely designed model. Uh, the, the one thing that I'm not a huge fan of is the rear rack mounted battery. Mm. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like a 2016-ish design, I feel like, that you know a lot of companies have moved away from rack mounted batteries. But then again, there's not a lot of places to hide a battery on a beach cruiser and having a really thick down tube like you would generally have an electric mountain bike to hide the battery would look really funny. So I guess I can see it. Um, one of the things I like that electric bike company does for their beach cruisers is they offer a front basket battery so that you don't even have a rear rack battery. It just looks like a normal sort of like uh, wicker or aluminum basket you'd put on the front of a beach cruiser. And you can't even tell that the battery is built into the bottom of the basket. So that's, in my opinion, kind of a nicer looking way to do it. But short of that, I guess a rear rack battery is one of the only options for a beach cruiser like this. So I'm not going to hold it against them too much. Overall, I very much like the bike and I think it's going to be an interesting addition to this space, especially as that middle price, but fairly nicely specced carbon drive, uh, beach cruiser. Your thoughts, Seth? Yeah. So I agree, uh, on that, uh, the back battery, you know, Pettigo has a couple of bikes with the back battery. I recently, uh, checked one out. Um, they had a, uh, turn signal built into that one, which I thought was a nice, you know, like if you're going to have a back battery, you know, put, put something like that in there and make it, worthwhile um and we can see on if you're watching us uh you can see that there's a a paneer covering it um in one of the pictures and that kind of you know from an aesthetic point of view kind of makes it a little bit better um but you're right like uh it's not just you know the way it looks it's also the way it rides with the weight so high up and, and behind the rider uh it makes the steering a little bit less uh you know like I don't know, I guess sure-footed, um, but it, you know, I'm sure this ride's fine. Um, it's got all the stuff it needs. Uh, what are we talking about in terms of um, specs, in terms of the uh, the motor here? Is it just 250 or? I think it's either 500 or 750. Um, okay. It's a class three bike, so it does get up to 28, I believe. Okay, and um, those fat tires, it's going to have to have some power. Yeah, exactly. And I think those are three inch tires, if I'm not mistaken. So they're, they're kind of that like nice middle ground as well. Mm. You know, they're not like massive four inch fat tires, but they give you more cushion than a, uh, you know, like a two or a two and a half inch mountain bike tire, which is going to be important for a bike that doesn't have any suspension. So, uh, right. And it goes on sand as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, I haven't seen bikes with these balloon tires in a while. It's funny because these used to be like the big tires before fat tires came out. So it's kind of nice to see a comeback of the three inch size. Yeah. Um, And then, so it doesn't really have a a gearing system um, because of the belt drive. Uh, Getting up to 28 miles per hour, how does that work with the pedal speed? I wonder what the cadence uh, you have to attain to get to 28 miles per hour is. 
Yeah, I'm sure you're going to be kind of mind pedaling at the top <laughs> there. Um, I was recently on the uh, new BQI, which is a similar setup. It's a 28 mile per hour e-bike with a single speed belt drive. And I mean, there's no way that you can pedal at 28 miles per hour. Your feet look like, you know, a dentist drill spinning that fast. Yeah, the uh, the Luna Eclipse is also in that same boat. Also a uh, belt drive. Uh, it has a 20 inch wheels. It's foldable ish. And, uh, you know, anything over 20 miles per hour is, is throttle only really. Um, you can, you can try, but you just look silly. Well, this yeah. looks great. Um, are you going to have a review or are they going to, what's, what's the delivery dates on these? Yeah. So, um, they already launched for pre-order. I don't, believe they're shipping yet, but I'm not positive. Um, I have been talking to the company and they're going to get one out to my local bike shop so I can go uh, take this thing for a test spin, take it down to the beach and do some you know, nice uh, prototypical beach cruiser type riding. Cool. Well, that looks like fun. And it'll be interesting to see what that weight on the back wheel does for the uh, beach sand riding. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on. The most popular cargo electric bike in the U.S. is back after a major recall. Yeah, it feels like it's been so much longer, but it's really only been a few months that the Radwagon has been unobtainable. Back in, I think it was November of last year, maybe October, there was a recall for uh, most or all of the Radwagon 4s. It was like 30,000 e-bikes were all recalled for a wheel and tire issue. Uh, apparently there were two issues one that the um sidewall would somehow like delaminate and uh could cause blowouts and the second was that uh the rim strip was apparently not correctly installed on a bunch of the wheels and was causing flats that way so rad had recalled the rad wagon 4 and it was out of commission for many months but it is finally back and not only have they um started selling a new version of it with a presumably different or updated tire but they've also started sending out repair kits to um, all of the people who had Radwagon 4s and were affected by this. So, uh, I mean, again, like we're talking like 30,000 bikes out there. So there were a lot of people that were waiting months with a bike that, you know, looked fine, but that they were told you shouldn't be riding this just in case. So it's nice to see that they've finally got those out there because I know there was a lot of resentment building up about people that were saying, hey, you know, I'm... I've got this bike sitting here. I paid a lot of money for it and I can't ride it. So to see the kits going out and people able to finally get their bikes back to working, uh, in addition to having the Red Wagon 4 back for sale, I'm sure is is sweet news for a lot of people. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the, I can't remember. Is this the bike that has the weird size tire that only Rad makes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was part of the uh, part of the yeah. problem is that they kind of had their own tire here. So when they had an issue with it, it wasn't like they could just switch to a, a different tire real quick. And also consumers couldn't just go out and buy a different tire. It was that 22 inch size. So they were kind of stuck waiting on red. Yeah, so that that's a uh, one of those uh, cautionary tales. Uh, we we kind of you know at the, when when this launched, we were kind of like. Well, the good thing is that this is a tire size built exactly for this bike. But the bad news is if something goes wrong, uh, you know, as a consumer, you're a little bit screwed. And as a company, Rad was a little bit screwed as well uh, when something, you know, did go wrong. 
So uh, cautionary tale, like uh, maybe Rad will, you know, think twice about releasing bikes with their own, you know, new, newly spec tires. Now, I, you know, this might be a little bit controversial. Do you think this had anything to do with the uh, CEO shakeup at uh, Rad? I doubt it. I, I don't have any, you know, insider information there, but I imagine that um, for one, Mike had been running this company for years and years and he really preferred to be on the product side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, just the the day in day out of running things was probably preventing him from, from doing some of the, you know, prototyping and design that, that he really enjoyed doing. And also with, um, you know, some pretty significant institutional investors behind rad. Now they, they might've been interested in bringing in a more seasoned uh, CEO who's led uh, tech companies before, which, you know, is, is quite common in, in tech startups that the CEO who starts the company doesn't always remain the CEO forever. Right. Well, it's good to see these back on the road, uh, back for sale. Um, you know, these are some of the most popular uh, bikes out there. You know, Rad is obviously the biggest, if not, you know, one of the biggest uh, bike dealers out there. So um, I know we've recommended this bike to a lot of people. So glad to see that it's back in action. Uh, moving over to another popular uh, bike brand, Electric XP Trike First Ride, testing the low-cost electric trike made for everyone. Yeah, this one has probably been a thorn in in Rad's side. Speaking of Rad just before this, the new Electric XP Trike came out uh, about a month or so, or was announced a month or so after the Rad Trike at a significantly lower price. Now, it only went on sale a few days ago, um, but we did get a chance to go out to Phoenix and test this out. So this is my first ride experience. Um, I only had a day on it. So um, I'm uh, hoping to do a full review in another month or two when these things start shipping and they have production versions. But for now, there's, I believe, exactly one of these, which is basically a production prototype. And I got the chance to go try this sucker out and see what it's like. And so um, for a trike that basically undercuts the rad trike by a thousand bucks, I was pretty impressed. I would say it doesn't have some of the fit and finish of rad's bike. Um, it's not quite as stable. You can see I was doing donuts there and it feels pretty good, but you can get it up on two wheels and get, you know, that third wheel in the air a little bit. If you take too sharp of a turn though, you really got to be, you know, hammering into those turns to do it. But, you know, all in all, I would say that for 1500 bucks, you get a lot of vehicle here. Um, it's, it's pretty nicely designed with a two wheel drive in the back, thanks to the motor being mounted in sort of a mid drive setup on the jack shaft, which means that it goes through that differential rear axle and drives both wheels. Uh, it's also a folder, which means that if you need to fit it in, um, you know, the back of an SUV or something, but you don't want to fold down that last row of, uh, seats or you, you can't fold down your seats, then you can probably still get it in there, which is nice. And it also has a second benefit of meaning that when it does start shipping to consumers, it'll arrive folded up, fully assembled. So you don't have to start bolting together things and, you know, making sure that you assembled the bike correctly. That's all, all done for you. Um, in terms of specs, uh, it's pretty standard across the industry. These things generally top out about 14, 15 miles an hour. Um, the motor is 500 watt continuous, but man, that thing is way more powerful than you would expect for a uh, 500 watt motor. It actually puts out over a thousand watts peak. And I climbed up this huge hill in this thing that was like hard to walk up. So, mm. you know, I mean, I was just amazed at, at how much torque 
that thing was putting out, which you know blew my mind there. So I don't think that anyone's going to have a problem when it comes to hills or power. And if anything, I would say it's very nicely balanced because if you keep it in a low pedal assist, like one or two, it's just real gentle. But if you want to, you know, really climb a hill or, or have more power, it's got it there if you put it in the higher power modes for sure. And it's uh, class two, so it's got a throttle. Yeah, yeah, it's got a throttle. Um, obviously, it doesn't max out the class two speed, but it's still considered a class two e bike because of that. Um, uh-huh. But you, you know, you don't have to use the throttle. And if anything, I think this is great for people that want to get back into pedaling because you don't have to use your legs for balance. You can, you know, use a, a higher level of pedal assist if you just want a little bit of exercise. And for someone who wasn't very active before, this could be a great way to get a little more fitness, a little more outdoor, outdoor activity into their, uh, you know, daily lives. And we talked about this before, but like, you know, when 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 you have a trike that you know has a throttle and you know is super easy to get on, like both this and and the rad, I think is even easier because the tires are a little smaller. Uh, it's almost like you're you're like bridging the gap between maybe you don't want one of those you know old person rascal scooters to to ride around with you could probably get one of these and and you know you'd be more hip than the uh the rascal folk and and you know maybe on some similar level as as the bikers uh so you know i really like this this idea of having a you know, a, a thing that maybe you don't throw a lot of uh, torque in those pedals, but you're moving your legs around, uh, you know, you're pushing your weight around, you're steering, getting fresh air, you're riding around. Uh, I think this is a really good product. I think it's kind of like an underserved product right now. I don't see a lot of, uh, you know, I don't see a lot of trikes around, but I imagine that the people who, you know, kind of don't feel comfortable on bikes, but they don't need a, a, a rascal yet. I feel like that's a big market. And I, I don't think anybody's really addressed it until now with both rad and electric getting into, you know, a lower cost, higher quality uh, thing. Now I, I have to ask you, since you're probably one of the only people on earth who've ridden both of these, like what, which one, like does, is the rad worth the extra thousand bucks? Like it, what? What like compare the two? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people ask me like, where does that extra thousand dollars go? Especially when you consider a couple of things that the uh, electric has hydraulic brakes, which the Rad doesn't, and mm. that it has about a forty percent larger battery. So wow. a lot of people are like, well, like what gives here? And so um, there there are some major differences. I would say that the Rad trike uh, not only does it have a little bit better fit and finish, but it's also designed more ground up to be a trike. Whereas uh, with electric XP trike, it seems like they sort of took their really popular XP line, like the, the XP Lite and the XP 3.0, and they sort of added what's effectively like a, uh, a trike kit on the back, like you could actually add on to uh, a pedal bike. And so that's, that's what you've got there. That hmm. in the back, almost like a normal two-wheeler with a trike rear end. Um, uh, that gives it a couple of downsides. For one, um, it's it's probably not going to be quite the uh, the same ride feel as the steel framed um, rad trike, which is all built as basically one big frame, and it's got that flex that you'd expect out of steel. And for two, it's going to put the um, center of gravity a bit higher. 
because with Rad's design, not only do they have smaller wheels, but their cargo platform is lower as well. So you've got a uh, a little bit more stable setup on the Rad trike, wider base in the rear, um, lower center of gravity. And I think for most people, they're going to feel that it's just, you know, a little more stable in the turns. But I, I got to say both of them, I had no issue taking turns as long as I didn't, you know, just go like hog wild with the thing. So I'd say Rad's, it's probably a bit nicer design trike, but the electric XP trike, you definitely get more bang for your buck. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was thinking is like, you know, to get to the next level with these, and I know neither of them have it, but like, what if there was a, you know, you're going 14 miles per hour. uh, You shouldn't be allowed to turn the wheel like any more than a certain degree because otherwise you're flopping over on the side. Like, I wonder if there's a way, I mean, it doesn't seem like a hard engineering problem. Like, uh, just, you know, don't allow a certain number of degrees of turning uh, per whatever. And I, I guess, like, you could turn that off because some people want to ride on two wheels or do crazy stuff. But, you know, I you know I think about, um, you know, the, the generation above me and, like, they probably enjoy it, but then what if they're going... 14 miles per hour and decide to make a left turn and they forget they're on a tricycle and you know, bad things happen. Um, so that's, you know, something I think about. Um, and also like, obviously the rad trike, um, it doesn't have a basket in the back, but it does have, uh, that seat with the back, back, back up. Is that, is that a option for the, uh, the electric? Yeah. So apparently that's going to be part of the cargo package. And that's sort of an interesting trade-off here is that, um, at least for now, the electric XP trike does come with the uh, rear basket and it does not come stock with the um, rear, like, I guess, back supported seat. Mm. Um, I believe that's going to be an add on with the uh, comfort package. But with the rad trike, you do get the nicer seat, but you have to pay extra for the rear basket. Okay. Uh, very interesting space. We're going to keep an eye on it. Moving on, we've got Harley Davidson's upcoming live wire electric motorcycle delayed until next year or later this year. Yeah, this is a bit of a bummer because we were supposed to see the Del Mar coming out this spring sometime, but uh, now we've learned that uh, live wire's second electric motorcycle is not going to come out until the second half of the year. Whenever they say second half of the year, the cynical part of me thinks like, all right, we're talking November, December here. Yeah, like maybe we'll get a couple in before Christmas. Yeah. So they also revised their um, sales estimates. They were expecting to do, I think, up to 7,000 units this year. And they've revised that from between uh, 500 to 2,000 units because they're going to have less of the year to uh, to sell in. Um, that, you know, if they're thinking they're going to do at least 500, then I guess they're not going to roll it out on like Christmas because... There'd be some pretty good sales in that last week of December, but it it does make me worry that, you know, if they've dropped the uh, forecast that drastically that they're expecting, you know, a much later rollout this year, maybe they'll surprise us and it'll come out, you know, in August, but I'm not going to hold my breath for that. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I don't think that's realistic. I mean, they already have enough orders to fill that out, right? So it's basically how many come off the line and, you know, what period does it take them to, to make 500 to 2000 bikes. And that kind of feels like, you know, if things are pumping up, you know, a month or so. Yeah. Sense. And I have to wonder, you know, what the holdup is here. We've, you know, we've known this bike is coming for a while, 
I don't know if it's, you know, related to chip shortage things, you know, supply chain constraints gets thrown around a lot. And obviously there are a lot of parts that go into uh, these bikes, whether it's, you know, battery cells shortage, you know, it could be one little thing that, you know, all these bikes need and that causes a several months delay here. So it's, it's hard to say what's going on, but it's significantly going to impact the uh, potential revenue for Livewire for 2023, which was expected to be a big year for the company, especially after 2022 wasn't necessarily an amazing year financially for Livewire. Um, it's interesting. They did something like, um, I want to say like 12 million or so um, in sales for the uh, Livewire 1, which is currently their only electric motorcycle model, but they actually did twice as much revenue with their uh, kids' balance bikes. So, um, you know, right now, Livewire is making like two-thirds of their revenue from selling kids' bikes, believe it or That's not. That's crazy. The ones with the, like the drill motors, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're doing like, yeah. I think it's $30 million a year or something in, that, in kids' that balance is, bikes. That's amazing. I mean, that that's like, you know, Tesla selling tequila. You know, it's, that's, it doesn't really, or Tesla selling kids' kids motorcycles uh, or kids' uh kids cars i guess yeah, uh absolutely whoever made shame. the decision to buy stasic a couple of years ago like they they made a good call because that's paying the bills right now right i mean i guess the brand they're kind of you know cashing out on the brand a little bit by you know making little harleys or little live wires for kids um but you know you get, get them young there you go um, yeah it, it's a bummer though but because this that everybody this is you know, obviously a very sought after uh, bike, especially with the lower price and the, the upgraded looks. Yeah, I'm still excited for the future of this bike. And I, I think this is still going to be what cements Livewire as a competitive electric motorcycle brand. But it is uh, a bit frustrating to see them sort of, you know, fumbling right before the finish line here of getting that that popular model out. Yep. All right. Good luck to them. Uh, I, I, I'm tempted to get a motorcycle license just so I can try out a Del Mar. Dude. All right. Uh, I know. I know. Well, when they when they have electric uh, motorcycles that I can take the test in, I'll be it'll be much easier. And we've talked about that before. But uh, moving on, I bought an electric tuk tuk or tuk tuk to drive in a first world country, and it's a perfect city truck. This has been so much fun. So I bought this thing um, maybe like six weeks ago or something. I don't even remember now. But it is such a cool vehicle to have in the city. Um, For those of you that don't know, I actually live in Tel Aviv most of the year. So that's where I have it here. And it is basically like a, it serves almost the role of a pickup truck for me, but in a much smaller format. So the bed is... Um, a little bit smaller than a pickup's bed, though I had it parked next to a small truck and it wasn't that much smaller. It's just really? the, yeah, it's just the rest of the vehicle that that's much smaller. It looks quite small. Yeah. So the, I mean, it's like over half bed, so it's only, um, 10 feet long. So it's like a five and a half foot bed or something like that. Um, and I think that's probably like comparable to Cybertruck Rivian beds where they like six feet long, something like that. Yeah. So uh, this thing is, I mean, basically it's a motorcycle up front and a truck bed in the back. If you've never seen a uh, tuk-tuk before, that's it's basically like, um, you know, two vehicles stuck together. And so it's got motorcycle controls. You, you sit on 
what's effectively a bench, but you've got handlebars, you've got brakes on the handlebars, a twist throttle. So it really feels like a motorcycle or rather a tricycle when you're up there, but all the magic happens in the back. And that's where not only is it a normal truck bed with like a tailgate, but the sides actually fold down as well. They're like side gates. So it turns into a flatbed truck, which is a really cool feature if you're carrying um, you know, big things like uh, a couch or, um, you know, four by eight foot sheets of drywall or plywood, something like that. Um, so it's, it's really got a lot of utility, but at the same time, it's still super small for the city. So like I can lane split with this thing, which I've done before. There'll be like, you know, 30 cars lined up at a red light and I'll just go like right down the side to the front of the red light, What's your by width? the way, is, uh, it's a little bit over a meter. It's like one ten, So that's, I think three and a half feet, something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably narrower than some of those massive, like a Honda Goldwing motorcycle or something. Right. Um, and yeah, it's like, so there I am lane splitting. Um, and for the city, you know, we talk a lot about like, you know, massive trucks and SUVs in the cities and, uh, this idea that as cars get bigger and bigger, they become more dangerous to pedestrians. And so if anything, what I really love about this is that it gives me the, utility of having a small truck in a city, but in a much smaller, much safer, you know, less dangerous, less impactful vehicle. It's of course it's electric. So I'm not, you know, spewing carcinogens into the air, but it's also a lot cheaper. You know, I don't have to fill it up with gas. don't have to do maintenance. I'm not, you know, changing the oil, swapping air filters, not doing any of the stuff that you associate with having like a work truck around. And uh, so to me, this has just been a sort of super effective uh, utility vehicle to have in a city without having to get a real car. And because of the the street legal status here, it fits into this weird like gray area that is sort of overlapping with mobility scooters. And it means I don't have to get uh, insurance for it. I don't have to um, register it. I don't need a plate. Uh, I don't even need a, a driver's license technically. Um, and I don't have to pay to park it. So like it's all the advantages of a bike with the utility of a like small truck. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty compelling. Sorry, go on. Yes. Sorry. I think uh, we we have a little bit of lag on the, uh, the audio, but uh, to me, it kind of brings the same concerns about uh, the three wheel things that we were talking about with the the electric and the other uh, tricycles, like driving it uh, on a street. um, Do you ever, go up on two wheels? Do you ever have to slow down more than you would imagine? What's that like? Yeah. So I've never gotten up on two wheels. It's surprisingly stable for a um, Delta trike with two wheels in the back. Part of that is I think the batteries are so low and so heavy that you really have to take a sharp turn to to get up on two wheels in this thing. They are lead acid batteries, which is the one major downside here is that I have to, you know, try to remember to not let them discharge below 50%. Um, and I know they're not going to last, you know, five, six years like a lithium ion battery would, but they keep it super stable. Um, the other thing though, is that I don't really get going that fast because the suspension is not ideal. Um, so like if you hit a speed bump or something, you really want to slow down. Otherwise you're just like your butts leaving the seat kind of situation. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the legality of it in Tel Aviv. It's pretty legal or they don't, they don't really frown upon it. Um, I yeah, don't imagine. 
in the U.S. it would be the same. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, these things in the U.S. would fit into motorcycle class uh, vehicles and they'd have to be, um, you know, uh, NHTSA uh, approved with all of the uh, proper DOT components and stuff. So unfortunately in the U.S. and most places, this isn't going to cut it unless you can fit it into one of those like um, weird limited use vehicle uh, statutes, which some states have. But here in Tel Aviv, where it is legal, uh, I mean, these are just like, first of all, they're, they're super popular. Like there there's must be thousands of them in Tel Aviv. They're used by really? you know delivery riders, um, couriers. You see them a lot going around and picking up all those uh, rental scooters and like redistributing them or bringing them to the depots. But definitely for like uh, supermarkets and stuff that are, are always restocking um, and especially the smaller supermarkets, like the equivalent of a bodega kind of thing, they use these a lot for bringing in products. So they're just, I mean, they're all over and they're super convenient in a city. Yeah. And so, uh, talk, talk to us about the, the power and the, you know, top speed and, you know, you, you're, you're dealing with lead acid batteries. Uh, do you have an upgrade plan? Um, or are you going to do solar or anything like that? For sure. Yeah. So it's about 4,000 Watts and it theoretically has a top speed of 28 miles per hour, but the uh, vendor was like, I don't recommend you riding it at 28 miles an hour. Um, That's nice. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't know how fast I've gotten it up to because I haven't really pushed it that fast. I mean, I've been at city speed, so probably like 20 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's got enough power to do it. I've climbed up um, some hills that were like uh, parking garage hills and it seems to do just fine. It also has a low gear. So if you're on a super steep hill, you can uh, cut the speed in half, but double the torque, which is nice. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, it seems to have enough power for anything I'd want to do in terms of range. Uh, I haven't pushed it again because they're, they're lead acid batteries and they degrade quicker when you go below 50%. It should have something like 25 to 30 miles of range, but my whole city is like six miles across. So like, I just, I don't need it to, to go that far. And then I just recharge it in the parking garage when I'm done using it. But, um, my goal is to actually add solar to it. I want to weld up a uh, like structure for the bed that I can hopefully get four or 500 watts of solar panels. I already ordered um, 500 watt panels from AliExpress. So I'm going to try and get all five of them up there if they'll fit. And then I can have a covered bed and probably have the, the solar panels extend out over the canopy. And that way I don't even have to worry about uh, plugging it in in the parking garage because technically I don't think I'm supposed to plug into those uh, spots. I think they use the the outlets there for running the like um, cleaning, like little like Zambonis mm. for the parking garage kind of thing. Right. So uh, I'm kind of just like gorilla charging when, when no one's watching. So if right. I put the solar on it, then I can just park it outside for a day and it'll charge all the way up with eight hours of sun. Yeah. It looks like you could, I mean, you already ordered 500 uh, watt solar panels, but it looks like perfect size for like one rooftop solar panel which are you know 400 or 500 watts so pretty similar yeah i was thinking Um, about going with one of those roof ones but um they're usually glass and based on the suspension i figured it would just like rattle the glass into shards right yeah you would definitely need to put some suspension i guess on the (laughs) on the roof rack and uh the the 100 watt panels they come out uh 12 volt and you do those like in series so yeah, like 48 volts. Yeah, exactly. So I'd run those in series. Uh, I think they even get up closer to like 18 when the, the sun's like 
you know, pretty, pretty well shining. So it'll probably be closer to like 90 volts uh, when it's all said and done, but you can just run that into um, an MPPT charge controller and it does its magic to, to put that into whatever voltage the batteries need, which I think is uh, 60 volts if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And then have you priced out what a uh, lithium upgrade would be on this one? I haven't yet, partly because it's I'm kind of dreading how much it's going to cost. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I, I really like this idea. I wish uh, there was a classification in the U.S. I guess there's the neighborhood electric vehicle. This would kind of fall under. Um, but I don't think that these have VINs or any of the Department of Transportation approved stuff that you would need, but too bad. Yep. All right. Uh, last story. Uh, this DIY kit lets you build your own street legal tiniest car in the world. So if if you're not familiar with the PLP 50, and then I hope you're actually watching the video here and not just listening to the podcast because you kind of got to see this thing. If I tried to describe it, I'd say it it's almost looks like a suitcase with a windshield. And that's also about the size of it because it's a one seater car. It's got a single door on the left side. And it's basically if you like had someone sit down in a folding chair and just like drew an outline of their body, <laughs> that's the size and shape of this car. Um, these were produced in the sixties on the Isle of man and it uh, holds the Guinness world record for the smallest production automobile in the world. So they, they went out of uh, production in 1965, but there's a new company that now creates kits so that you can build your own PLP 50 and they have an electric drivetrain. They also have a gas version. Um, but I can't imagine wanting to be in a tiny little box with an operating gas powered engine with you. So the, uh, the electric one is definitely what you're going to want to go with here. And, um, I just think this is the coolest thing that you can build your own kit car replica of an original PLP 50. And it's not only do you get to build a replica, but these are apparently legal in the UK and the U S uh, they're produced in the UK, but in the U S uh, the company says they fit into a motorcycle designation in most states. And I guess they've gone through the trouble of making sure that, you know, they've got DOT lights, they've got the proper turn signal spacing, all the, you know, issues that go along with, with making a street legal motorcycle, which is certainly easier than a street legal car um, that they've, they've done. And so theoretically, if you've got like 12,000 bucks, you can assemble your own world's tiniest electric car and be driving that sucker around on the streets. That's crazy. Um, and you know, again, uh, for people who aren't, aren't, uh, watching the video, uh, there's a picture of a guy in an elevator. Obviously, um, I think this was part of a, uh, uh, stunt that like Top Gear in the UK did like a couple hundred years ago where they, <laughs> they went up into their office and, you know, drove around between desks and stuff. It's that small. Basically, like you said, it's like, sit down in a lawn chair and have somebody put like metal around you. And that's kind of what you get. But, uh, you know, we love this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I think, you know, in an urban environment, maybe these make sense, especially, you know, on a rainy day when you don't want to get wet parking, these things would be super easy. Um, you know, you could probably lane split in them as well. <laughs> if you get going that speed. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe that, maybe instead of, uh, working with an old 
uh, model. You, you make a one that's kind of uh, built for today, maybe a little bit more aerodynamic, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, safer. I don't know how safe these things are, but um, yeah, love the, love the idea. And of course, putting it together yourself, you're going to learn a lot about it. That means it's probably very easy to upgrade. Uh, you know, you can put a Lili battery in there and uh, get some good speed. <laughs> so uh, love to see it. All right. We're going to jump into the comments here. Let me uh, pull over here. All right. We've got a few. If anybody has any comments or questions for us, please uh, leave them on YouTube now and we'll try to get them by the end of the show. Um, so first one from Ryan Dalgarno, is this the all new electric truck? Oh, that was the Rivian and, story. Yeah. And, uh, no, I don't think it's the truck. It's, uh, definitely an e-bike. Although we've seen, uh, kind of the, the gradient between electric bikes and electric trucks. So maybe, you know, Rivian, uh, says, Hey, we, we know how to do a, a pickup truck. We'll make a, a tuk-tuk for the U S who knows. Um, I, I can see it. So he, uh, Ryan also is an E-Dash fan. He says E-Dash makes a rack mounted bike. My bike has tires like that. And my E-Dash goes 30, 25, 30 miles per hour, sometimes 40. Wow. All right. That sounds fun. Uh, we've got, uh, looks like I, that Serbian name without any vowels. Serbian jersey. <laughs> I'm not going to even try it. I like so much rad power bikes and I hope we'll be available in Serbia one day. Yeah. What is, where is rad available today? So, I know I've seen them in Europe. Yeah. They're in much of Europe, you know, like France, Netherlands, I think Germany. Um, but they're, they're not in most of, uh, Eastern Europe. So I, I don't believe they're in Serbia. It sounds like, uh, certain, uh, <laughs> confirms they're not in, uh, in Serbia, yeah, I had to try it, yeah. um, but uh, I could see them expanding there. I mean, they're they're such a dominant force in North America that why not take the bikes that already work well there and get them in as many countries as you can? Yeah, and I'm sure there's like third party importers in Ser Serbia that would be happy to do the the legwork for for Rad and, and others. All right, uh, one last question, unless anybody else chimes in. Uh, when it becomes too windy, it might be smart to roll down the windows to prevent being blown over. If we're talking about the... Uh, <laughs> the PLV-50? Yeah. Uh, that It applies to a couple of vehicles we talked about. Uh, <laughs> the tuk-tuk and, uh, and the DIY. So, um, yes, uh, the windows being rolled down would help it from being blown over. Um, that, that's true. I, I will say, though, that at least it's a uh, tadpole trike design with the two front wheels. So it is a little more stable. I mean, I guess with the winds blowing from the side, it doesn't matter where the wheels are. But at least in turns, it's more stable than it looks. I'll give it that. That's good to know. All right. That's all the uh, comments today. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back uh, two weeks from now at our new time on Friday mornings. And we'll be excited to see you back next time. Take care, everyone.